I have a habit of reading Apple News when I go to bed or when I wake up in the morning. I have the Apple News Plus thing, and I um, like checking out the Wall Street Journal and just whatever other things are on there and reading through the headlines. And the other day, I was I was lying in bed reading through the headlines, and it was like one was like Title 42 is expected to expire, right? And then it's like whatever. I'm not reading that right now. And then I keep keep scrolling, and uh, Russia strikes Ukraine. You know, a war has been going on there for well over a year now. But then I saw this headline. Connecticut priest chokes back tears as he claims parishioner witnessed a miracle when the number of wafers he was handing out multiplied. I got to read that, right? (laughs) Turns out um, that the Vatican is investigating claims of a miracle that's happening in this church in Connecticut where apparently a priest was handing out communion and this... The wafers just, I guess, kept on coming. And uh, the Lord multiplied the wafers. I don't know how you feel about that headline. Um, I'd like to think that the Lord were to multiply the communion bread, it would taste a little better. Um, but either way, uh, we're going to look at an actual miracle where Jesus multiplied bread today. And we're going to see that Jesus is the provider and the sustainer for all of life, that Jesus is the provider and the sustainer of all of life, that he is enough for everything that we face, that he is enough for everything he asks us to do, that he is enough for salvation itself. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 9? We're going to read verses 1 to 17 together. Luke 9, 1 to 17 says, summoning the 12, he, that is Jesus, gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them, no staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, Shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everyone everywhere. Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some said that John had been raised from the dead, some that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. I beheaded John, Herod said, But who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. Late in the day, the twelve approached and said to him, Send the crowd away so that they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging, because we are in a deserted place here. You give them something to eat, he told them. We have no more than five loaves and two fish, they said, unless we go and buy food for all these people, for about 5,000 men were there. Then he told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. 
They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And now, Lord, as we come before it, Lord, would you help us to be both hearers and doers? Lord, would you give us presence of mind to be attentive to what you're saying to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our passage picks off with Jesus kind of gathering the 12 apostles together, and he, and he gathers them together, and he also gives them something. And what he gives them, the text says, is he gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. The apostles were eyewitnesses to everything that Jesus has done up to this point. They saw him uh, raise a little girl to life, grab her by the hand and speak, get up. They saw him uh, heal people of of diseases. They saw him uh, release people who were oppressed by demons. They saw all that he had done, and now Jesus is giving them the same power and authority that he has. He is conveying and and giving his power and authority so that they can do some of the same things that Jesus himself was doing. So Jesus gathers them, he gives them authority, but he also sent them out. He didn't just give them power and authority for power and authority's sake. He gave them power and authority because he gave them, he provided for them a mission. And that mission was to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The mission of the apostles is an extension of the mission of Christ himself. Though they don't have power to forgive sin, they are doing the same things that Jesus did, proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing people of diseases. And if you remember that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, he came to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, to proclaim God's favor over people. And Jesus then gives that mission to his apostles. And he tells them to go out, to go out and to heal people, to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus provides a mission for his people. And that mission is to go and to proclaim God's favor is now here and has arrived in Jesus. And so we see two things about this mission that Jesus sends them on. We see that it it is a mission that involves words, like actual words. The, the, the apostles were not to promote themselves. They were not to promote a nation. They weren't to promote the restoration of, of Israel as a nation state. They weren't to promote their opinion of the culture wars. They weren't to promote um, whatever was going on in the news that day and their opinions about that. They, they were there to promote a kingdom reality that Christ has come and that the kingdom of God is here. They were proclaiming something that was true. And that truth was the good news that Christ has arrived and he has brought himself a kingdom where people can be set free. Where, where God is not against us, he is for us. They weren't peddlers of, of themselves. They weren't peddlers of just information about the world or advice. They were proclaimers of news that actually was happening. Jesus sent his apostles on a mission and the mission was a proclaiming mission that God has come, 
that Christ has come, that the Messiah was here, and that he was able to deliver them, and that he was able to release them from their sins and from their bondage. It was a, it was a mission that involved words, but it was also a mission that involved works. If you look at the text, Jesus says he sent them out to go proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That when the kingdom comes, it is displaying a reality in the words and works of the apostles were confirming that very reality. That people were being healed, affirmed that Christ has actually come. That the kingdom was actually here. The kingdom of God arriving in Jesus the truth that God has declared his favor, that he is releasing us, shaped the way the apostles were to live and function in the world as ministers of grace and as proclaimers of good news that they didn't just talk about, but that they lived out with their actions in the world. The reality of the kingdom was experienced by the people who came into contact with the apostles. They didn't just hear about the kingdom, but they saw it lived out before their eyes as good news was proclaimed, as people were released from their sins and released from their literal physical ailments. And can I just say that the mission that Christ sends his apostles out on is a mission we are also called to participate in. Now, I don't, I I mean, maybe there's news to me, but I don't think any one of us has the gift of healing. Um, But I think that what we are called to do, friends, is that our words in our works proclaim together the arrival of the kingdom of God. That when people encounter Christians, people who claim to follow Jesus, they should not just encounter people who have a message of good news, but people who live in such a way that they display the reality of the kingdom that they live in. That, that, when, that there are people that actually step into the brokenness of the world, that step into where there's pain and suffering because Christ has come and we do that. Some of you may have grown up in a church tradition where like living out the kingdom of God and proclaiming the good news was all talk, right? You did soul, maybe you went soul winning, you went door to door knocking, maybe you were taught to preach on street corners or whatever, and those things can be fine. Uh, Maybe you handed out tracts and it was just all talk. Well, God's kingdom invites us to be living it out too that displaying it with our actions and our work, that we step into the deep pain and brokenness of the world with news that there is a savior who is doing away with all of it. Some of us may have grown up in church traditions that talked very little about the gospel. Like we weren't taught to share the message of reconciliation that Christ has, but instead we just, for like social justice warriors, right? We did nice things for the community But the mission of God in the world couples both words and works that we are people willing to step into the pain and brokenness. He is just, he's calling us to much 
bigger mission than any one of these. It's a mission where, where we do tell others, but it's a mission where we do love others too. There's a new king, and this new king is Jesus, and he is for us, and we, we declare that to the world. We step into the new reality of the kingdom of God. Our works validate the mission and our works validate the message. Jesus gives them a mission. He gives us a mission, but then Jesus sends them out with instructions. He says, take nothing for the road. He tells them to travel light. Don't take a lot with you. Don't bring your cloak. Don't bring an extra staff because he wants them to be reliant upon him for every part of their mission. They're not supposed to rely on their own strengths. As they go about the mission that Jesus sends them, they're not supposed to rely on their own giftedness, their own ability to prepare well. Like, like you know, the, the people who pack for everything, I am one of them. I travel with like a first aid kit. Like they weren't supposed to rely on, on themselves and what their abilities were. They were supposed to rely on God. Additionally, they were to be untangled by things on their mission. You who travel with kids, like, like anytime, like we're going to go to the airport next week and it's going to involve car seats and strollers and, and extra bags and toys. It takes us forever to get through the airport. And if it's just me and I get to pack my one little carry-on, we move pretty quick. Jesus is calling his people to just not be weighed down by stuff. They need focus. Jesus tells them to take nothing for the road and he gives them lodging instructions. The apostles are to stay with one person when they enter a village. They're supposed to find a family. It's a very hospitable culture at the time who welcomes them. Stay with them and don't switch from house to house. They're not to use people for their benefit. They're not to try to move up to cushier and cushier accommodations when they're there. And they're not supposed to be peddlers in the time when people would go from door to door and maybe collect more money for themselves. They aren't there for themselves. They're there for the mission. They're to be open to the hospitality of others, even others with not a lot to give. And then finally, Jesus tells them that if they aren't welcomed, they're to shake the dust from their feet. Now, this is a sign. This isn't a sign that Jesus is a Swifty and he's telling them to take it, shake it off. This is a sign of judgment. That if, to shake their feet saying, fine. There was a sign of judgment against them. Fine, by rejecting Jesus, by rejecting the message, you're rejecting Jesus himself, the one who sent them. And while these direct instructions are not direct instructions for us, they were given to them in a specific time, I do think that the application of these things is similar. We have a way of getting so caught up in the affairs of the world, in the, the, the day-to-day of life, and some of that is just unavoidable. We live lives here, and it's complicated and messy and too busy sometimes, but that we have a way of, we don't travel light. We've kind of lost perspective of the mission, and we can live for ourselves We haven't stepped into the pain and brokenness of the world. We've just kind of, we have, you know, our priorities are just all packed together and mixed in, God's priorities and ours. And we don't often live in such a way 
that displays a love for the mission of God and the kingdom of God in the world. We try to juggle all of our various priorities instead of aligning them, right? So Jesus provides a mission and he provides the apostles instructions. Hey, don't get so caught up in everything. Rely on me for all of your life. He provides a mission. He provides authority for the mission and he provides the way to go about it with words and with actions. And I wanna ask you as a way to kind of take this from up here and move it into our hearts. How does your life look? And then here are some applications for this section. Three questions to ask yourself. So where, where do you fail to tell others the good news because you're afraid? Where have you kind of said like, have you ever heard of people say, I'm going to do friendship evangelism. I'm going to be friends with people and then I'm going to share the gospel with them. But what actually happens is they become friends with people and they become friends with people and they never, I've been there, I've done that, right? So, so where are you afraid to use words and pray that the Lord would give you boldness, share with your community group or a friend, like, like ask for encouragement to, to share the gospel. Question two, where do you fail to step into the real needs of the world? Christ has come, and he's come for people who are hurting and lost. Remember, it's those who are sick that need a doctor. And sometimes in our culture, we have a way of pushing away the brokenness and, and keeping it over here so we don't have to look at it. And so we just kind of go about our comfortable lives. And I think what Jesus might be inviting us to is to step into the places of great need in the world. And this begins on your street. Is there a neighbor who's hurting? Is there somebody who just needs some help for some time? I saw an example of this from a friend of mine. Um, his name's Frank. Frank, was a vice, he's a vice president for State Street Financial. And in his neighborhood, um, they just had, they had a baby was born and there was just all sorts of issues and complications. They were in the NICU for such an extended period of time. And Frank and his wife of their own volition just chose to step into the needs of that family. And they had already shared the gospel with them, but they, they just says, hey, they're hurt. We're gonna bear that. So Frank would like meals and gift cards and notes and like the insane amount of blessing from one person. And just really choosing to step into pain. And friends, and it was right next door. And so that's what I think Jesus wants us to kind of be aware and open to what he's doing in the world. And recognize that that's often the places where God wants to meet people. And then the third question is, do my life and my words match? Is is what I value displayed by how I live? Does my life mirror my message or Christ's message? Am I living like a citizen of the kingdom? That, that God owns everything, that he's sovereign, that he has told me he loves me and that I'm secure in Jesus and that this begins to shape the way I engage with the world. Am I living that way? Jesus provides submission. He provides authority and instruction and his disciples go out and do exactly as he says. But we also see that Jesus kind of provides a question as well. 
when you're reading the story, if you were to look at verse 7, like you, the story ends in verse 6, the disciples go out, and then all of a sudden it's like this interlude about Herod. And it says that Herod, the Tetrarch, heard everything about Jesus that was going on. How did Herod hear? Well, it appears that the apostles' message was making its way up to Herod. That, that they were kind of going from village to village and this news was getting around. And maybe he also heard about the things Jesus did from other people as well. But either way, the message reached the ears of Herod and the text says that he was perplexed. And because some people were saying that this was John the Baptist raised from the dead. And you can see why Herod would be perplexed because in we haven't gone over this. It's not mentioned in the book of Luke, but Herod has John the Baptist beheaded. And so he's, you can see why he'd be a little confused. The next thing people are saying is that some people said that he was like Elijah. And there was this broad understanding that Elijah would reappear again. And he was a revered prophet of the time. And still people said that he was another prophet. And Herod is curious. Who is this Jesus that I'm hearing about? He heard about Jesus. He heard about what he did. He heard about what people were saying. And he ponders and desires to see him too. And I think there is a sense that Herod wants to see Jesus, not necessarily for what Jesus claims, but for what Jesus does. Here's about the miracles. Here's about the healing. I don't know that this is genuine curiosity about the message of the Savior. Just curious because of the news about him. And the question that I think is worth, that is worth asking is what will you do with Jesus? Do you just want Jesus for the benefits of of knowing Jesus, or do you want Jesus for Jesus? People are going to make, as we go about the mission of God, people are going to make all sorts of assumptions about Jesus. We've talked a little bit about this so far in Luke. Some people are going to say that Jesus is just a great guy. As you share with people, they're going to say, I like Jesus. Jesus is cool. He's a good guy. Like he did a lot of good things in the world. And I like Jesus, a nice dude. He's like, a, he's like an older mother, Teresa. I like Jesus. He helped a lot of people, did some healings, said some really nice things like love your enemies. Jesus is a nice guy. Other people say that Jesus, he's like a sage. He's like this, and sure, Jesus is wise, and I don't want to dilute that. But he, people treat him like, hey, he just imparted wisdom for living a great life. You encounter all sorts of ideas about Jesus as you share Jesus as you try to live like Jesus. But the question, the question worth asking for us and others is what will you do with the real Jesus? Will you let him be your provider and sustainer? Will you take him for what he says, not just for what he does? Or will you miss the mark on it altogether and have a, like a numbed, weakened version of Jesus who does nice things but doesn't actually Take over your life as Lord. And truth is, you can't have it that way. 
because Jesus must be taken on his terms, not just for what he does, but for what he says and for who he is. So as you step into the world, as you step into the mission of God with your words and with your works, with your words and with your actions, you're going to encounter people who want to keep Jesus at an arm's length, who want to say, I'm okay with Jesus, but Jesus isn't going to be Lord over my life. You're going to encounter people like Herod who are just perplexed about the things you might be saying or the Jesus you might be preaching, but they're not willing to bend the knee towards Jesus. But the question is, what will you do with Jesus? And that's the question we ask the world as well. Because Jesus, as I said earlier, must be taken for what for who he says he is. Jesus provides a mission. Jesus provides the question. And finally, Jesus provides satisfaction. Jesus provides satisfaction. <clears throat> Story picks back up. And the apostles come back and the text says they reported to Jesus all that they had done. They had went about their mission. The mission was successful. You can imagine how excited these apostles must have been. They come home to Jesus. Jesus, there was this guy and we healed him. Or Jesus, there was this, there was this girl possessed by a demon. We released her. Jesus, we, we shared the gospel with village after village after village. Even Herod heard about it. Jesus, we were successful. And it's interesting, right? Because back in Luke 5, Jesus tells the disciples, they're out fishing. Peter and James and John, they're out fishing and they're not catching any fish. And Jesus tells them, to, hey, take your net, throw it to the other side of the boat. And they're like, okay, Jesus. They take their net and there's this hole of fish they can't catch. And what does Jesus tell Peter? That one day you will fish men. And Jesus... And Peter, you can imagine her standing there saying, remember what I said about fishing men? You just did it. And it wasn't about the, the amazingness of Peter. It wasn't, they didn't, he didn't, wasn't able to heal people of diseases. He wasn't able to, to do all of this sharing of the good news on his own strength. He did it because of Jesus. So the same power that that gave them the huge catch of fish is the same power that sent them to heal the diseases. And they fulfilled what Jesus said. They would catch people. And then the text says that after sharing this news, Jesus takes them and they go on a little retreat. They go to a town and it kind of sits outside the reach of Herod. Not sure why. No one's really certain. And they took some time for a retreat with Jesus. And I think it's interesting and worth noting that they didn't get to just do more. Jesus wasn't like, great, you did all that stuff, now get back to work. Jesus took them and retreated with them. They took time to just be with Jesus. And friends, the power for your life and your ministry and your living, and, and in your sharing the good news, and in living with the kingdom, doesn't come from yourself. It comes from a place of being 
with Jesus. The power for their mission came from being with a person of Christ. And the same is true for us because Jesus provides us the strength. He provides us the mission. And he provides us with himself. They got the power from being with Jesus. It's true for them and it's true for you. Sometimes we can become so busy with life that we forget to be with Jesus. We need to slow down, pump the brakes a little bit, and be with our Lord. But as they're retreating, the crowds find them, which is one of the most realistic statements in the Bible, right? Because if any of you, for any length of time, know what it's like to try to get some time with Jesus, only to be interrupted. But the crowd finds them and interrupts them, and once again, Jesus just rolls with it. He tells them the good news of the kingdom, heals the people who needed healing. He's not bothered one bit. He's kind and warm and welcoming. But it's getting late. The sun is getting moving slowly over the horizon. And I don't know what's going through the minds of the disciples exactly, but you, they're concerned about food. And Crowds are still there. There's about 5,000 men. So big crowd. And I don't know if you've had people over, big crowds over, and you feel like they've extended their welcome. um, And it's time for them to go home. I don't know if that's what the disciples are feeling. Like, Jesus, it's been great. It's dinner time. Why don't they go home, get some dinner? But they're like, hey, it's time for people to go home, Jesus. It's dinner time. Can we send them out? Let them go find food. There's no food here. And Jesus (laughs) turns it back on them and says, well, you give them something to eat. And if you can imagine being the apostles, right? You got 5,000 people and Jesus like, you think he's joking, but he's actually serious. He's like, well, why don't you give them some food? And they're like, Lord, we have two fish and some bread. And And Jesus, you just wonder what's going through his head at the time. And then they say, Lord, how do we buy food for all of these people? So they, they come to Jesus and they forget that the person standing right in front of them has been able to sustain and empower their ministry this far, has been able to heal people, been able to bring dead people to life. And now food is suddenly an issue because Jesus is standing right in front of them. He can provide for their need. They still don't quite get who Jesus is, that all of life is meant to be lived in dependency upon him, that he is the great provider for life, for the mission, for everything we need, and he sustains us. And Jesus steps in, in verse 14, look at it. It's, Jesus says, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said and had them all sit down. Then he took five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. Jesus does a miracle right before their eyes. He grabbed bread, he blessed and he broke it. And Jesus 
was able to fill the people to the point of being full. In the Old Testament, you may know the story of God taking Israel out of bondage to slavery in Egypt and leading them in, in, the, in the wilderness and leading them out of bondage and into life with him. And Jesus, or God would provide um, manna from heaven, daily sustenance enough for each day and each day. And then in the culture of the time, you have to think like this wasn't like a wealthy culture. Only the super wealthy would have enough food to just eat to the point of being full, like Thanksgiving full. But Jesus comes and he's got these two little meager pieces of fish and this five loaves of bread. And all of a sudden, everyone's able to eat until they're completely full. Some texts say completely satisfied. And what's Jesus saying in all of this? Like, what's he trying to get across to his disciples then and to us now? Tim Keller, um, who just passed away this past week, has this, has this quote. He says, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus's miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. You see, we're all looking for things to satisfy our deepest longings. And Jesus here says he is here to satisfy our deepest longings. And though we hunger now, one day we will be full. Back in Luke 6, Jesus said that blessed are you who are hungry now because you will be filled. And what Jesus is doing in this Miracle is giving us a foretaste that we will be one day completely satisfied. And we can step into that reality now. Because everything you need for the mission of God is found in Jesus. It's not found in your abilities to speak. It's not found in your craftiness Everything you need for the deepest questions of your life, of why is there pain and brokenness in this world? What is going to happen in the future? How is this going to ever be made right? All of those questions, Jesus answers with himself. Everything you need in your life right now Jesus answers with himself and he promises to be enough. You can go look elsewhere. You can look for things. You can look for comfort. You can look for ease. But I promise you, you those things will, will, you'll just be empty and still hungry. You can seek peace. You can seek relational fulfillment. You can seek the approval of others. Those things will leave you empty over and over and over again. And Jesus comes and says, listen, I am the one who can give you what you're looking for. And I am the one 
who will one day satisfy all. Jesus is the provider and sustainer of life. Jesus will be enough. 